Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today's no exception. We've got a great guest. But first, a quick thank you to our sponsor. The Real Estate Espresso Podcast is brought to you by International Coffee Farms. International Coffee Farms grows and sells specialty coffee in Boquete, Panama. They now have 11 fully operational coffee farms and they are 100% sold out. They are accepting reservations for farm number 12. The idea of owning a safe, diversified offshore investment is intriguing to you. Check out International Coffee Farms at internationalcoffeefarms.com. That's internationalcoffeefarms.com. We are back here on the weekend edition. We interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. We're talking about a different form of real estate. We've got a very special guest all the way from Oakland, California. Welcome to the show, Joe Quirk. Thanks for inviting me. Joe, you're working on a very fascinating project. Before we get into the details of that, maybe give a little bit of your background and what you've been up to before you got involved in seasteading. I started as a novelist, and then I became a humorous science writer, and I've written memoirs. I've written bestsellers in four different categories. And once my role in life appears to be to take what uh, the specialists are talking about and explain it for normal people as if I'm explaining it in a bar. That seems to be what my books do. And when I realized how important seasteading was for the future of humanity, I said, this can't be just a conversation among Silicon Valley bloggers. This has to be a mainstream topic of conversation. We need to attract 10,000 more people to get this done. I would write a a book and speak to the media about it. and, And that's happened. We've gathered a huge community around the world, and now the first one exists. That's awesome. I love that. So now let's talk about exactly what seasteading is. Some people might be listening to this, trying to fill in the blanks about what this made up word is. What is seasteading? Seasteading is homesteading the high sea. So how would you like to start your own country? Half the world's surface is unclaimed by any uh, nation state. Uh, The oceans are two-thirds of the Earth's surface, and the technology for floating homes and cities on the sea is at hand. We can start building these now, and the idea is to colonize the sea with lots of little nano-nations, and it's sort of a startup sector uh, for governance. So it's a Silicon Valley approach to solving the problem of 193 monopolies of governance governing 7.6 billion people. We can do much better. We can do 21st century governance and we can discover better ways of living together on the oceans. When we talk about creating places to live, there's a whole bunch of questions that come up. You raise some of the obvious questions about governance, assuming in international waters. What about just the logistics of resources here on land? This is where we grow our food. This is where we have access to the basic utilities, water, sewer, electric, telephone, how do you handle that on the high seas? Well, right now we're, we happen to be on a cruise ship. And if you asked me, well, how are the logistics taken care of? I could only say, well, I don't really know. I just know there's an economic incentive to build this floating city and for it to float around and then other people uh, take care of the details. So if you think of cruise ships that never dock and stay at sea permanently, uh, this ship we're on now is, is uh, flagged in, the, in Malta. But it's, it's picking up passengers from the U.S. It's headed to the, it went to the Cayman Islands. It sort of uh, uses jurisdictional arbitrage to pick and choose the laws best suited to the industry. So an example of superior governance is on cruise ships. Uh, I was on one that was cheaper than the Costa Hotel I'd stayed in the night before. And I live in San Francisco, and I wish San Francisco was as governed as well as this cruise ship. So suppose cruise ships never docked, and we had thousands of them out there floating permanently, and you could choose among them. We'd have a market of governance on the sea. 
So cruise ships, they have a diesel generator, they produce water, they have their own water maker, although they do fill up when they are on land, but they certainly do dock and they certainly do provision on land. What about food? How do you get food if you're permanently out to sea? Well, all islands prosper through trade, uh, finding something they're unique and good at and selling it to the world. And the first single-family seastead that's floating in international waters right now is basically um, creating a coral creed ecosystem on its spar. It's very easy to grow coral uh, on a floating structure. You have to flip so many land-based assumptions when you think about seasteading. For instance, gravity is your friend on the sea. You don't want to build a a skyscraper, you want to build a sea scraper. The, the, the lower you can hang the weight, the more stable your home is on the sea. So if you can grow coral along this spar, and then you attract fish and mussels and various filter feeders to it, you actually increase the amount of sea life on the ocean with every society you build. So the company Ocean Dot Builders, who built the first seastead, they're already trading with fishermen, they're already catching their own fish. Uh, they're Bitcoin entrepreneurs, so they trade for things they want with Bitcoin. They have a water maker, and it's sort of like a, a log cabin on, on the Wild West. It's something like that, and the, you can think of the sailboat as the covered wagon that takes them out there. So it gets started very modest, very small, and very affordably. They built this thing for 150 k It's perfectly stable on the high seas. They're eager to build a neighborhood and sell 20 more and start expanding and get hotels out there. And this is how things happen incrementally. And they're gonna, we're going to find new ways of governing ourselves from the bottom up and new ways of living our lives. And it'll just be like uh, any other normal island, except this one will be floating, man-made, disassemblable, and you can move around and choose the neighbors you want. So the stability that you're talking about comes from this structure that you're calling the spar. It's basically a column that is immersed in the water, it sits very deep, and because the surface area, which is where all the wave action is, is very small by comparison, that's what gives it its inherent stability, very similar to what the oil rigs experience, is that right? Very similar to what the oil rigs do. And it's, it's so counterintuitive, I, I use the analogy of the wine bottle. You know, a wine bottle can float on its side, but if you fill the bottom with sand, it can stand upright. And if you fill it with enough sand, you can have four-fifths of the wine bottle is below the water, and one-fifth is above the water. And the water and the wine bottle can be very stable in considerable waves, such that if you build a little house on top of it, imagine it's, you know, 60 meters long or 20 meters long. If you build a little house on it, you can have shocking amount of stability in very high waves just outside your window. I love that. And so let's talk a little bit about the structures that you're putting on top of the spar here. It kind of conjured up the image of a log cabin, but I don't imagine we're building these out of wood, and certainly not in the saltwater environment. How are these constructed, and, and where are they being manufactured? Uh, the first one was manufactured in Thailand. It's about 12 miles off the coast of uh, Phuket, Thailand, uh, which puts it in international waters. So the first seastead home is made out of fiberglass, and it looks like a little iPhone, actually. It's a little octagon. It's white to reflect uh, light off it. It's got solar panels on the top. Uh, it's got a natural patio on top, so it's sort of two floors, but it's very small, including uh, the roof and the space underneath the ceiling. It's about 1,000 square feet. But what's exciting about it is that it's a minimal viable product. Uh, it costs less than the average American home. So we're beating the price point for a lot of homes in the US. So a lot of us in business are very frustrated by rule, you know, regulations from the 20th century governing technologies in the 21st century. And we need regulatory startups, we need, we need country startups, we need to start over. So when you provide a platform, if you provide a, a blank slate 
innovators come to you uh, as if it, you really am, are giving them an iPhone and they're coming with their app idea. So medical researchers who want to uh, extend healthy lifespans have all sorts of new innovations coming online and they're banging on our door saying, you know, where is my Seastead? I want to get outside this obsolete regulatory structure and we could advance these things much more cheaply. Uh, Devi Shetty, Mother Teresa's former heart surgeon, uh, built a giant health city in the Cayman Islands which we just visited, and he said in the Economics Times that the best place to have a hospital is 12 miles off the coast of an existing American city. Uh, so you could have floating hospitals providing better care, 21st century rules, medical research ships, uh, seaweed farmers reach out to us because they're very frustrated. Yeah, the rules for fish farms and aquaculture are written, you know, some of them in the 1970s, back when uh, aquaculture was on the coast and it sort of polluted the environment. Now it's much more advanced. Uh, you can have fish farms in uh, buckyballs that, that basically buckyball-shaped cages, circular, that school with the fish. So the fish are swimming and the, and the, and the cage swims with them. I feature this technology in my book about seasteading. So there are all sorts of innovations that are making the world a better place. And we need, we can't these innovations can't survive with 20th century rules and governments written, you know, whose parameters were written with. We get a little taste of how governance can be better if we look at this cruise ship. We get a little idea of how things can float at sea if we look at oil rigs. People still want to know, like, well, how do you, why would it be better? Why would it be better than the governments we have now? And I always use the example of Ben Franklin. You know, he was an entrepreneur at 14, a great inventor, a great genius, and he innovated in two key areas. One was the control of electricity. And the other was uh, in the parameters of governance. He was basically standing on a giant seastead and said, we could start over and we could redo this. We could create a republic according to the principles of all we smart people who are gathered. Ben Franklin played with electricity and he knew it was going to be great, but he couldn't imagine what it would be. And over the next two centuries, this, this innovation has just permeated every aspect of our lives, even in the technologies we're using right now. And, but the governance rules, the basic parameters that he helped create have not advanced at all. We're still stuck with that technology from centuries ago. And what is the difference? Uh, why do we have these fabulous electric uh, inventions, but we're still you know, um, operating according to governance rules written with quill pens? When information traveled at the speed of a horse and they could have never predicted Twitter. Well, uh, electricity was, no one had control of it. It was decentralized and innovators could come in and innovate. And the bad ideas went away and the good ideas were chosen and it just accelerated and accelerated and all those ideas fed off each other. And now we have, uh, electricity makes our lives much, much better. So I think the same kind of unimaginable advancements could happen in governance if it wasn't just 193 monopolies claiming continents. If we had lots of little experiments, we could change the, the, uh, the governance innovations the, as powerfully as Hong Kong changed communist China. Hong Kong is an example of, of, of a, a breakaway society, combined English common law with Chinese cult culture, created fabulous prosperity, set such a great example that China itself changed. It changed to an open market and half a billion people exited poverty. That's just one example. And people little, uh, little realize how much the, the rules of their big governments are altered by innovations of small little governments that don't get credit. <laughs> I love that. If folks want to learn a little bit more, what's the best way to do that? If you want to buy, if you want to buy the first Seastead or the second or the third or the fourth, go to ocean.builders. If you want to learn about the whole vision, go to seasteading.org and pick up my book called Seasteading, 
how floating nations will restore the environment, enrich the poor, cure the sick, and liberate humanity from politicians. I love it. Is the book only available from the website, or can you buy it from Amazon as well? You can buy it from Amazon. You can buy it any way you want. You can listen to it. A great reader uh, read it. I really like his reading. Sean Pratt. And uh, if you want to see the first seasteading community emerging in the Pacific, go to blue-frontiers.com, uh, which is a company I co-founded. Fantastic. So seasteading, that's spelled S-E-A-S-T-E-A-D-I-N-G.org. .org, so seasteading.org. And uh, thank you, Joe, for joining us. And for the listeners at home, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. 